Welcome to the Foundry Church. We're so glad that you're tuning into this message. We post these audio versions every week so you can keep up with them by subscribing to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church, you can visit our website at foundrychurch.net or like us on Facebook by searching our name. That said, here's this week's message in our series called Believe. So we're moving into... um. Uh, week five here in our Believe series, this is the Church of Sardis, and very excited about this uh, teaching and what God's saying in it. Let me ask you a question, kind of set the tone here. Who here knows what a stone facade is? Anybody? Yeah, it's a stone facade is one of those things that adds no structural value to an outside of a building, but it makes it look better, right? Actually, the building we're in right now, most people define it as, you know, the Foundry Church, it's that brick building on Main. And I'm like, no, it's not a brick building. It's a concrete block building with a brick facade. The bricks are not structurally secure to hold this thing up. The blocks are, but they actually take uh, the bricks and they put them up against the actual structural thing and they make it look good. So you can say we're in a brick building and I would say, no, we're not. We're in a building with a brick facade. It's, it's not, they're not actually real in terms of what we would need a brick to do to hold a building up. So when we look at facades today, I want you to hold on to that idea because that idea of a facade, of something on the outside that looks one way, but when you get inside, it's different. That's an important concept and understanding for today's teaching and the conversation around the church in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, it says this, to the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church of Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have found your deeds incomplete and unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and what you have heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet there are those of you in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white to the victorious, They will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out that name of of that person from the book of life. Instead, I will acknowledge that name before my Father and before the angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the church of Sardis, there is an inclusive facade that was happening. It's an interesting city because all these other cities we talk about the horrible persecutions and exclusion from community of, uh, you know, like Roman emperors like Diocletian and Nero coming in, Claudius, all these people kind of crushing the church. But in Sardis, it was a very inclusive society. Sardis had a church in it, of course, we're talking about it. There was also the largest synagogue uh, Jewish worship center outside of Israel was in Sardis. It was the size of a football field. Then there was the Temple of Sibylle. And here's the weird thing. They all played nice together. Nobody got in each other's way. They were just a nice little community. It all seemed really good. Nobody got in each other's kind of business. And the problem was that um, under this inclusive environment, Christianity acclimatized itself to the culture around it. It neither pushed the gospel forward nor challenged the beliefs of those around them. Rather than share their faith, they just got along and played nice. When Jesus 
sent his disciples out. So there were 72 people who followed Jesus pretty closely. And then it was kind of whittled down to the 12, and then there was three of the 12 that were very close. Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke chapter 10, and he says, go out there, be really nice, and don't challenge anybody's belief. That's not what he said. What he said was, go out there and tell them the truth. Tell them that the kingdom of God has come and preach the good news. Tell them what's going on. Let them know what's happening. Jesus knew that it was each individual person, community, and region's responsibility to respond to the gospel as they were so moved. But they needed to hear the truth. They needed to hear from Jesus' disciples the truth of the gospel. What mattered in Jesus' eyes, both then and now, is this, that the people who heard the gospel would respond to it and their name would be written in the Lamb's book of life, that they would have eternal security and peace with God. That's what actually mattered. And what we look at in this and understand is that these people in, uh, in, in this community were very nice to one another, but they weren't, they weren't actually inclusive. They played nice. They had an all-faiths um, picnic, but no one ever challenged any beliefs. There was, in fact, an inclusive facade. It looked one way on the outside, but it was not so on the inside. There was a purity facade. I mentioned the Temple of Sibylle. This is actually really interesting how Jesus speaks to John and speaks a very clear word about what was going on. The Temple of Sibylle was the largest structure in the city of Sardis. And the Temple of Sibylle required that you go into the temple for worship in a gleaming white robe. Don't ask me how they got that white. I don't know. I just know that was the requirement. And if you came in with stained, soiled clothes, you could not enter. You could not be a part of that worshiping community. But that was the extent of the purity. The appearance on the outside of wearing a really clean robe was the extent of the purity they had because once they got inside that building, they took part in debased, horrible worship practices that would literally, in the end, begin to turn into self-mutilation. Yeah, mutilation. Self-mutilation and, um, and for the men, castration. So you look at it and you're like, oh, so their robes would be a bloody mess by the end of it. Their facade walking in was one thing, but getting inside you found these brutal and terrible practices that were terrible on them and literally soiled their clothing. Aren't you glad you live in modern days, right? You're like, so glad I'm not part of, of the Temple of Sibylle, especially guys. You're like, because, yeah. I mean, that's a little janky, isn't it? But here's the thing. Did you know that if you go to world, Erica did this. She went to worldreligions.com and looked up Sibylle. And Sibylle is a widely worshipped deity in our context, in modern-day America, Europe, and different things. And she is worshipped primarily. This is not my information. This is information that we got on the documentation of people who worship um, Sibylle. And she is worshipped by self-described pagan, Wiccan, feminists, and transgender groups. It's going on today in our current context. It's happening, so we're not so far from history as we would think. And we're not so enlightened as you would believe. So their purity ran only robe deep. It looked good on the outside, but it wasn't. There was a security facade. The church in Sardis thought they were secure. They thought they were in a good spot. They weren't challenging anybody. They were accepted. They were busy. They had a reputation of being alive. Jesus said, 
I know your deeds. You have the reputation of being alive. So the way I would say in our context, it would look like they're a church with a really full parking lot four days a week. They've got a lot of programs and a lot of things going on, but there's nothing actually happening. There's no transformation, spirit-filled living. There is the religious rigor of doing things to stay in a good standing with someone. They look like they're alive, but they're dead. They don't bother the people around them. Like I said, they have all faith picnics, right? Everybody gets together and everybody plays nice. And Jesus warned them that if they do not repent, he will come unexpectedly like a thief. Now, this is super important historically, and I have to be good and not go too far off, but we get to play on a rabbit trail just for a minute. Because here's the thing, this would ring true in the mind of um, a person from Sardis, a Sardinian, um, They would know this story. When you hear, I will come like a thief, that would ring a bell for you and I like if I mentioned Gettysburg. If you don't know what that is, see me after church. We will talk about your history teacher failing you. Um, But like, or D-Day, or if I say 9-11, anyone who's, you know, over 20 goes, oh yeah, yeah, we remember that. We remember that day. It's a historical marker. The people of Sardis would remember that phrase, they would know what a thief in the night means. So join me on this slight, it's slight, I promise, but historical journey. Okay, so there's a king, King Croesus, and he established the city-state of Sardis. It was a regional power, and coming against him was uh, King Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians. He's mentioned in scripture. There's so much fun history stuff on this, so I can't deal with it, but it's super duper fun. Um, So King Cyrus brings in the historical numbers are always inflated, but they say about a half million man army against him. Some historians think it's probably like 50,000. Either way, lots of people, lots of armor. And they come against the city of Sardis. But here's what King Croesus had done. He had made an impenetrable ring of walls around Sardis. It could withhold a siege for years. It was a phenomenal city. Wells in the city. He had done such a good job protecting his his city. It was impenetrable. You would build siege works against it, and they would overthrow the siege works. They were phenomenal. It was awesome. And one night, a soldier is sent out to spy the walls by King Cyrus. Happened every night, just watching, seeing if they could find any kind of chink in the armor to get in. One night, a spy under a gleaming Persian moon, at least in my mind, looks up and sees the helmet of a watchman inside of the towers of Sardis on the wall. And he notices the guy has the same posture as most dads about an hour from now on the couch, kind of tilted over, resting his eyes, right? He's cashed out asleep. And then his helmet falls off, katank, tonk, tonk, and falls down. And the guy's like, oh no, looks over the wall, drop my helmet because I fell asleep. What am I going to do? And the spy is watching him. And he notices he disappears. And then down at the bottom of the wall, a small opening. And he's like, what? We didn't know there was an opening there. And he comes out and he grabs his helmet, puts it on, runs back up the wall and sits at his post, not knowing that he just told the enemy how they can get in. And so the next night, King Cyrus, on hearing the news of a secret entrance, goes and starts a brawl with the, with the other army on the other side of the wall, of, like the other side of the city. The, the armies rush to meet the, the challenge. And what does King Cyrus do? Sends a few thousand men, like a thief, into the back door of the building. 
And before they knew it, there were thousands of their enemies in their city, and the city of Sardis fell because someone fell asleep. Security facades matter. But what matters to God is being alive. When we look at being alive, that's, what, that's the difference. The, the facade of the church of Sardis is these different purity and security and different thing facades, but we look at it and understand being alive is what matters to God. You have the reputation of being alive, Jesus says, but you're dead. You're necrotic. It looks good, but nothing's actually happening. If you read devotions this week, you would have read in the book of Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus. And he says this to people to challenge him, and it's one of the reasons we put it in this week's uh, devotions. Of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, because such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or with God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Don't be partners with them. And we need to stop for a minute and understand that we need to do what Jesus says to the church in Sardis. Wake up. Wake up. The culture around us should not feel comfortable to those of us who are saved by Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. We should constantly feel out of place in that culture. We need to wake up and not get lulled to sleep. Don't get acclimatized to evil. Don't be like the frog who goes in the water thinking everything's good and slowly gets cooked alive, thinking everything's okay. The Apostle Paul says, don't take part in these things. Don't get lulled to sleep in the way you talk, in your coarse joking, in your obscenities, in the different things. These are real issues for us, and we need to wake up and see that it matters. Paul goes on to say, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And one of the things that I think is important is Jesus Christ is known in Scripture as the light of the world. What do we do when we bring our Christian life into contact with darkness? We expose what's going on. And we shouldn't apologize for it. We shouldn't apologize if our presence makes people uncomfortable. Flip the lights on. Flip the lights on. Paul goes on to say it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. It's shameful even to mention it. He goes on to say these words, wake up, sleepers, rise from the dead and let Christ shine on you, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because the days are evil is not an excuse not to go and be a person living your faith boldly and faithfully in our community. We need to understand that, that our faith actually doesn't have an inclusion facade. Our faith has real and lasting solid inclusion. Just like some people in Sardis were easily deceived that they were being inclusive and doing the right things by accepting all faiths as equal, that is anything anything but kind. It is anything but gracious. Do me a favor. Join me real quick. Kind of in, Let me just kind of paint it this way. Imagine you're a rich aunt or uncle. We're going to use uncle because I'm a guy and I'm going to pretend it's me. So we're taking five nieces and nephews 
on a trip, all paid to Disney World. We're going to go to Disney. We're going to have a great time. And the uncle says to him, meet me tomorrow morning. I got the Yukon XL filled up, gassed up snacks. We're going to hit the road. It's going to be awesome. There's a Cracker Barrel right down the road in Indiana. We're going to get some biscuits and gravy. Then we're going to drive to Atlanta. We're going to spend the night there, go to the museum and the aquarium. Then we're going to head south. We'll get to Orlando, go to Disney. It's going to be great kid's like, this is amazing. You're the best uncle ever. And so they show up and he says, but before you come, go by the travel agent, pick up your lanyard with your Disney tickets and bring it with you. The next morning, three kids show up with lanyards and Disney tickets hanging around their neck. We're here, Uncle Eric. It's going to be great. And two kids show up with yarn yarn lanyards and homemade tickets, but not wanting to offend or embarrass them. I'm like, it's okay. Come on, let's go. And we all get in the car, and we go on the road trip. We have fun at Cracker Barrel. We go to the museums and the Coke Museum and different stuff in Atlanta. We get down there, 22-hour road trip. It's just been great. Singing the songs, checking our fast passes, planning a breakfast with Pooh, dinner with Cinderella. We're going to ride Expedition Everest and Space Mountain. It's going to be magical. Everybody's so excited, and we finally get there, and we get to the gate. Three kids are exultant and so excited, and two kids are weeping going, why didn't you tell me this wouldn't? get me in? Why did you take me all this way pretending it was okay? Uncle Eric, why? Why would you take me and let me sing the songs and dream the dreams and then I stand at the gate and watch the fun and I'm excluded because I didn't do the one thing that I was supposed to. Why wouldn't you tell me? Well, I didn't want you to miss the road trip. I don't want a road trip. I want Disney World. I'm sorry. I just, I didn't want you to feel bad that day. Well, I feel pretty bad now. Why did you do it? When we look at our lives and understand that this is what we do when we hold our faith for ourselves, and we spend time with our friends who come from other faith backgrounds, and we never want to make them uncomfortable, and we send them to hell with a pat on the back, and it's okay, buddy, Your truth is your truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Instead of sharing with people the one truth we know, and don't get me wrong when I say this, I want it to be heard. The Christian faith is an exclusive faith where everybody is welcome, but they are welcomed on one term. When Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he wasn't being ironic or sarcastic, he meant it. So we can't sit back and go, all faiths are equal. If Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, we better say to our Muslim, our Buddhist, our Mormon, whatever friends from other religions you have, you better share the truth with them. You better share the truth. And you don't have to do it in an ugly and unkind way. It isn't nice to pat somebody on the back and say, yeah, I can see how you feel. And it's not okay if you don't feel it. If I can be so honest, I had one of the most... um, disappointing evangelism moments of my life yesterday. Got my hair cut, which, yeah, thank you. I thought it looked good, too. Um, but uh, I'm sitting there, and haven't had the best week, if I'm honest. It's, I've had weeks, I feel like I got rolled up, smoked, and then re-rolled. It's just been a rough week. I'm not always, you know, you, got, you learn in life, and you go through tough things, and it's been a tough week. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted my hair cut, if I'm honest. I sit down, and the lady says, are you off this weekend? No, I'm not. Actually, I'm a pastor at a local church, so I'll be preaching tonight and tomorrow. Oh, okay. She said, my kids are Christians, but I'm a Buddhist. I was like, cool. Literally, I'm preaching that, that, this, this. 
Okay. Because I just want my hair cut. I'm tired. I think I'm bad at things in life. I'm just not good at life sometimes. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we'll do a four and a half on the side. Yeah, just keep it going. I want my hair cut, my dumb, dumb sucker in the door. That's where my heart's at. And, um, and so I resisted the, the opportunity. And she said, you know, um, I, I think it's good. I think the, the silence was awkward. So she said, I think it's good. I think all religions are, are meant to really just help us be good people. To which I'm like, oh, my goodness. Could somebody just give me a break? What, do you have to say bad theology to me and like incite me to riot? I didn't want to share. I wanted to be like, wow, that's true for you. But seriously, a four and a half on the sides, I'm good. I just want to move on. I didn't want to say anything. I literally closed my eyes. I don't know for how long. And I was like, God, please. I don't want to share anything. I just know that's really bad beliefs. I, I'm, I didn't come prepared. I don't have a verse. I don't even have an encouraging word. I'm just, oh. I just opened my eyes, and I just, it's one of those weird moments where when you're just as worthless as possible and God uses you, the, the difference is stark. And I said, the reason I love Jesus Christ, and she was like, and looked at me in the mirror, because there's a mirror, right? And I'm just like, the reason I love him is this, is yes, I think I should be living a life doing some good deeds. I, I think I should be becoming a better person. Yes, I agree with you in that. I think we should be becoming better people. But if I get to the gates of heaven and all I have is my good deeds, I'm never getting in. Because in the end, all my good deeds amount to nothing. But Jesus Christ died for my sins and he loves me and I receive that. So when I get to heaven, I get in because he loves me, not because I'm a good person. Actually, I'm kind of a jerk and I still get in. It's not about being a good person. It's about loving Jesus. And she was holding her suit. She's like, oh. And I was like, I know. I hope someone comes and prays with you again, four and a half on the side. Like, <laughs> have you ever been there? Anybody else? I didn't want to share. I didn't want to be an evangelist. I didn't want to be a pastor in that moment. I was, I was tired, but there's no excuse for sending someone to hell well-packed thinking they're going somewhere else. We have to speak up because we have solid inclusion. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's excluded from this faith. Nobody's pushed away. If you come through the gateway of Jesus Christ and you trust him as Lord, Savior, and Redeemer, you're in. And your life begins to testify of him in wonderful ways, even in broken ways. We have to tell them the truth. Because Solid inclusion is something the Apostle Paul talked about. In Romans 11, 11 to 14, Paul is talking about the Jews and saying like the, the bloodline of the Jews through Abraham, saying we've been grafted in to that family. We are part of salvation. And the hope is that by us Gentiles, us outsiders, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, having a relationship with God, maybe the people God loves with all his heart, the Jewish people, the apple of his eye, maybe one day out of jealousy they'll return. But they have to come home to him. They have to come home to him. They have to come home and recognize it. Paul says it this way. If their transgression means riches for the world, the riches of the gospel going out in the world, and their loss means riches for us spiritually, how much greater riches will be their full inclusion when they come home to Christ? Their full inclusion only comes home through Christ. What was the second biggest building in Sardis? It was a synagogue full of Jewish people. 
And the church was next door, and it never challenged and shared their faith because they decided to play nice. Church, may that never be said of us, that we chose to play nice at the expense of someone's soul. Imagine the heartache of God when he sat and watched his church not share their faith with the people who had literally been the bloodline of salvation, that Jesus was a Jewish man. He came through the Jewish line. When they're next door to the Jewish synagogue and they're not preaching the gospel, no wonder Jesus said to, to them, wake up. You're in the neighborhood. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have found your work unfinished. Don't do this halfway job of being nice. Be truthful. Be the gospel. Share it. Share it boldly. Because inclusion comes not by kindness, but by the love of Christ extended through the church into people's lives. We have to preach the gospel. We have to share Jesus with everyone, even if they're good people. Last time I checked, good people don't go to heaven. Christians do. That's a little convicting. Didn't plan for that to be said. Solid purity. Here's a cool thing. Remember Sibylle? They go in their white robes, and they go do terrible things. How about this? How about the purity we actually get? It's not a facade of purity. You and I are a broken mess and we admit it, but the reality is this. That pagan cult of Sibylle looked good on the outside, but they were dead inside. And when we look at ourselves in Jesus Christ, we can hear the words of Jesus speaking to the church of Sardis. Yet there are some of you in Sardis who have not soiled your clothes and you will walk with me dressed in robes of white. And to the one who is victorious, they too will be in a white robe and their name will never be blotted out of the book of life. Here's the cool thing. This isn't some external robe we put on to look good. This is actually, and it's one of the most beautiful images in scripture. We take the literal righteousness of Jesus and we put it on like a garment. You wear the righteousness of Christ. It's solid purity. It's not some outward facade. It is the slow transformation of who you are. You're forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ is given to you, and then you work out your salvation. This is not a works-based faith. It's solid purity, wearing the righteousness of Christ. And finally, solid security. There's a solid security it's not in appearing successful. It's not in finding your name in the right social list. Security is only found in Jesus Christ. Our security is eternal in Jesus Christ. It is for sure. It is lock solid, and we can hold on to it. We need to know that the one who is victorious will also wear a white robe so they have the purity, but their name will be written in the book of life and it won't be blotted out. And Jesus will confess that name to his heavenly father and to the angels. Let the church hear what the spirit is saying. When we hear that scripture, we should know this. There's a warning to you and I not to take security in this world and get lulled to sleep in the things we have and the identities we develop. We only have one thing. The grace and mercy of God, it's found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse um, 9 and 10. Peter says, instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why does he want that? The next verse, but in the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief. The heavens 
will disappear like a roar. Can you imagine what would happen if the heavens got peeled open like a can of peaches? Can you imagine the sound of that? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it and done in it will be laid bare. Your security, your money, your title, your influence, your social connections, your friendships, your likes, your follows, all these things are gonna be laid bare. It's gonna be laid bare and burned away. You have one security. That security is Jesus Christ. Eternally Jesus Christ. The church has confessed this through the ages, through the great hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Because we know this to be true. That the storms of culture will break against the church for generations before and to come, but the church will stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Our security, our hope, our future, everything is held on the rock of Jesus Christ. And he's telling us, don't put your faith in the systems. Don't put your faith in your money, your friendships, your influence, your appearance. Your security outside of Jesus is as useful as the walls were to King Croesus. The empire will fall and everything will be laid bare. But remember the words before. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How will they come to repentance if we sit on the gospel comfortable with ourselves, not wanting to make people uncomfortable? I challenge you, friends, Get uncomfortable in this world. We are not building a new church because we wanted a building. We are building a new building because we want space for everyone to come and be a part of the glory of God in the church, worshiping, gathered, and sent out. We're not doing anything other than this, that every ear would hear the truth of the gospel. I don't work with many, uh, any unbelievers, I hope, in this church, but you do. So I challenge you, go preach the gospel and forgive me my own indifference yesterday when I had a chance to do it and I half-heartedly took part. We can't be those people. Let me be the example of someone who needs a challenge. It's not just for you, it's for me. But I remember this, my security, my hope, my future, my eternity. On Christ, the solid rock we stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm. Share the gospel. There are people all around us going to hell confident of a different ending. Go change that. Go preach the gospel. It is their responsible to respond, their, their, their responsibility to respond to it. If all you can say is come and see what God's doing, go say, come and see. We'll do our best to declare the truth before them. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, no woman gets to the Father except through me. Friends, we know on what rock we stand. Will we share the glory of the gospel or will we hold it for ourselves? Lord Jesus Christ, may this truth sink into our lives even now. May this truth be um, a challenge to us in our spirits. May we not sit back and be comfortable with our friends, our coworkers, and different people believing a lie, thinking they have a different ending. 
God, we ask that they would experience the eternal security of knowing their Savior is Jesus Christ. The immediate purity of confessing their sins and being forgiven by Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that they would feel loved and appreciated and gathered close and included in this all-inclusive community rooted in the salvation and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, there are no good works we have done apart from you. And the greatest thing we've ever done is just accept from you the gift of salvation. Now, God, challenge us to go and share that good word in the lives we live, in the words we speak. May our lives declare the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you join me as we close with a song? There are people in our community who think in some measure they've got a free pass into heaven. And we will know him all of our lives. You can't leave here today and pretend you haven't heard the gospel and you haven't heard the challenge of the gospel. Jesus' last words were, go therefore into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. You're not alone, but you are called. You are called to get over your bubble and get into the gospel because we are a people who just committed in song that our only desire is to know him all of our life. And if we know him, the world will see him. I invite you, grab those devotions on your way out. We literally referenced, I think, every day of devotions in this teaching. If you're new here and you're not in a group, we've got space for you. Stop by the info desk and sign up. Be a part of the church and then go be the church beyond these walls. I'm not okay. We can't be okay that 50% of this town doesn't know him. What a gift to know him all the days of our life and to worship him. How dare we rob a gift that we were given from those who need to hear it. Church, Go share the gospel. Go invite people to know him. And as you do, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, my friends, I invite you to leave the church on mission. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions by scrolling down on the homepage. Beating God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope you felt challenged and encouraged by this and hope that you'll tune in again next week.